This is APCO Forum, powered by APCO Worldwide, an advisory and advocacy communications firm. Now, here's your host, John Deftarius. Hello and welcome to APCO Forum, timely conversations, catalyzing progress on global topics. I'm John Deftarius of APCO Worldwide, joining you today from London. It's been a busy autumn calendar of multilateral events, starting with, of course, the UN General Assembly, the G20, the B20, and most recently with COP26. And it seems like we have a sense of urgency. I put that down to the COVID-19 pandemic and people trying to catch up for lost time, if you will. We're going to be kind of bringing the threads together to see if there's a link between the start of the autumn and to the end of 2021 and what it means for 2022. We have a fantastic panel, but let's bring in our expertise from APCO Worldwide uh, Anna Tuckle is the head of global strategic initiatives and partnerships uh, for APCO. And I, I laid it out there in the umbrella lead, if you will, Anna. What did you make of this very busy season and then finishing up on COP26? Thank you very much, John. A pleasure to be with you and our uh, exceptional panel here. Um, and, and you're right that it's been a really busy uh, past couple of months. And so what we've done is we took stock of critical discussions and announcements from Global Fora starting with uh, the UN General Assembly to ASEAN Summit to uh, to the G20 Ministerial, and um, we're looking actively at, uh, at COP. And uh, there are six main cross-cutting themes that have emerged that really present opportunities for, for the private sector, but um, I think any organization to come together um, and think about innovating innovative partnerships ahead. Climate is first and foremost uh, uh, on, the global, on the global agenda, and there is an opportunity to not just uh, uh, accelerate decarbonization and at zero commitments, but for a private sector really to to look at uh, behavioral change drivers, policy advocacy, consumer mobilization, and a host of, of topics um, for engagement. Inclusive economic recovery, Kristalina Georgieva famously said that we're looking at divergent recovery. And so lower income and middle income countries are still in the eye of the COVID-19 storm and any engagement needs to, to factor uh, that in, especially looking at uh, focusing on micro and, and medium-sized enterprises and then integration to the global economy. Gender, youth and equality is paramount, driving forward the agenda on upskilling, reskilling and creating more inclusive and equitable workforce for tomorrow is central. Um, prevention, preparedness for future crises, especially in the context of climate and health. Um, looking at transparency and accountability, both in corporate reporting, but also broad, broadly speaking on sustainable governance, um, procurement cycles, climate metric reportings, and then the role of data and privacy protection. And of course, the biggest underpinning for all of this is the, the sixth theme, which is the promotion and equitable dissemination of um, vaccines. So vaccines today are central, not just saving lives, uh, but also restarting economies and preventing any future COVID variants and, and setbacks. Um, and so private sector and multilateral uh, organizations are looking for, for innovative ways to come together um, around this critical priority. And I know that WHO Foundation and COVAX are leading the, the charge there. Great, Anna. That's, that's a very good foundation for our discussion here. Karen Ryder is the global head of ESG and sustainability at the ADECO Group, one of the world's largest employers. And it's great to have uh, Amal Ridan. She's a Tunisia youth delegate to COP26 and a World Economic Forum a Global 
Shaper join, uh, joining us here in the APCO Forum. Uh, Corinne, let's start with you and what Anna was talking about. This was a, a crowded agenda, but I'm wondering if it lived up to expectations, and I'll ask them all the same question from a, a youth perspective. But from the ADECO view right now, uh, did we deliver? Because it seems like the private sector's ready to act. Did the governments come together uh, smoothly? I think so. I mean, the signals that we're seeing are very positive, right? There's many commitments that are being made. You're talking about delivery. I think that will be the proof point over the next few years, how we're turning all these um, commitments into action. What we found, find a little bit missing is that people angle, right? We talk a lot when you talk about ESG. The focus here was very much on the E, but we need to make sure that we bring the S in a lot more. We're talking about investments in new technology and, you know, financing of the transition. But what we need to talk a lot more about is the prioritization of investments into people. You know, how do we make sure, A, that we have the right skills to make this transition happen? Because you need the people to do that, right? We're not just the cause of climate change, but we also need to be the solution. And then it's how do you ensure that the people that are impacted by this transition in jobs, that they're not being left behind. And I think that's where we would like to see the emphasis a lot more. Anna has mentioned upskilling and reskilling. And there, I think we need more government action as well in terms of steering the financial flows in that direction. Uh, Karin, if I can ask you a follow-up here, there's a big concern because there are shortages, as you know, uh, in the employment world, and that must put a lot of pressure on ADECO trying to find solutions, and can you upskill and retrain fast enough is a key question in this uh, COVID-19 recovery phase. I think you can. I mean, we see very new and innovative um, talent solutions emerging. Um, During COVID, for example, we had employment bridges where we were very fast moving people from industries that were sort of not um, not really needing that much talent into other industries, but then sort of placing them back once demand was picking up. And we see it in other areas as well. And I think that's what is really encouraging and what Anna mentioned as well. It's, it's the need for partnership, right? I think it's in all our interests that we invest together into the upskilling and reskilling because it's in, um, it's in the interest of everyone. Uh, uh, Mal Ridan of uh, Tunisia, it's great to have the youth voice, if you will. Uh, the former U.S. President Barack Obama gave a very impassioned speech at COP26 and said to, to your generation, uh, don't lose the spirit and continue the, the good fight here. Uh, what did you make at the end of the day, what came out of COP26? As, was it the blah, blah, blah or something concrete you can hang your hat on? Thanks, John, and thank you, everyone. Well, it was my first COP, and I can tell how motivated I was. Um, uh, it might be surprising, but I've come across a lot of young people and young females during the COP, and I think that's something really positive to see in, in uh, the COP halls, despite all the logistical uh, aspects. So um, I personally, along with my uh, team of Tunisian young climate change negotiators, feel empowered, and um, even though some of the decisions that are there do not meet our expectations. I think uh, we have to start somewhere, and I think a lot of pledges that have been uh, uh, made at the COP sets the scene and uh, brings uh, some optimism to what we're looking forward. As you were mentioning, so this is our generation, and we, we have to, to, to fight or advocate for what's coming, and I think the discussions that have been made at COP um, may uh, highlight that everyone feels concerned and that uh, we need 
need so many commitments. And maybe to follow up on what uh, Karen was saying, it's always um, important to put the why also in the uh, PPP. So today we speak, and I quote here the UNICEF's Generation Unlimited uh, Network um, mission to have the public-private youth partnership. And I think this is a key element to, to, to advocate for today. Uh, do you think, Anna, this leads to better multilateral cooperation? It was out of fashion under the Trump administration and some of the populist governments we've seen around the world. Uh, what does this autumn tell us about the partnerships that everybody's talking about in our session here in the forum? Thanks, John. Um, I think actually I'm, I'm really optimistic. Um, looking at the past week and a half at Glasgow um, and the types of partnerships that can, came to, to, to fruition, um, to me it was never about sort of one big Paris Agreement moment, but uh, a series of small sets of decisive victories. And I think in that regard, COP definitely delivered. I mean, look at um, sort of the partnerships landscape in front of us. The First Movers Coalition, um, a really groundbreaking initiative that was catalyzed by the World Economic Forum and and the special envoy and climate secretary Kerry um, actually brings the hardest to abate industries together in trying to create demand for clean energy products. And Amazon, as part of that coalition, already made a pledge and commitment to, to be the purchases, purchaser of those um, cleaner uh, products. So um, seeing competitors come together side by side in initiatives mm -hmm. like this is really invigorating. Also seeing um, those lines of collaboration within sectors. So the multilateral development institutions committed to, to a joint streamlining initiative in, approach, in its approach to nature. So you're looking at Asia Development Bank, Africa Development Bank, Inter-American Development Bank, actually working together um, in that regard. I actually really like what Emil said um, in needing to have a stronger youth voice uh, at the table with these partnerships because we are looking at this private-to-private, uh, multilateral-to-private, academia, um, NGOs, but oftentimes youth networks and organizations are not represented in these um, initiatives. And I think if we want to, to build a more resilient future and, and take into account um, the next generation, I think we need to have them at the table. And I think COP was a good uh, manifestation of, uh, of some of this, but I think we definitely need to do more. Uh, how about, uh, Corinne, this world of work and the SDGs? Can you link the two together? Because I know ADECO is putting this front and center in terms of uh, global partnerships. Uh, give us an indication of what that means in practice, though. Absolutely. We believe that, you know, every single SDG is linked with the world of work. Typically, businesses look at the SDGs more from an individual perspective and sort of tie individual contributions they do to one specific SDG. So our industry links to this SDG and that. But we feel that you need to look at it much more broadly and the interlink just between employment to the SDGs and then take two lenses, right? How do we as the world of work impact the, the SDGs, but also what will the impact be of the actions that we're taking towards the SDGs on employment and the skills that we have? And we recently launched a campaign around that to really increase the level of awareness of the, the role that the labor market plays in achieving the SDGs. And for each SDG, we want to lay out, you know, what are the steps that employers specifically can take around that and how to more meaningfully drive action towards the SDGs from that perspective. Karen, one of the things that keeps on coming up is the fact that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic fell disproportionately on women. Uh, so there's an injustice there. Do, do you think this is being recognized 
for example, what can you do at ADECO to work with the international organizations to really do something about it in the developing world in particular? We're working specifically probably more with employers, um, so our clients, to develop new pathways into the world of work for underrepresented groups, whether it's women, whether it's people with a disability, increasingly refugees as well. First, really understanding what are the skills that are missing, how do we upskill and reskill people to facilitate access to the labor market. But then I think the new angle that is increasingly coming up is how do you ensure lifelong employability? So it's not just the one point access to the labor market, but how do you ensure that people actually stay in the labor market, particularly when it's impacted so heavily by all these new transitions that we're seeing, whether it's automation, digitalization, or the move to a greener and more circular economy. So that's where we're really specifically working with clients that we're not upskilling or reskilling into a void, but that you're actually upskilling into existing jobs and match the skills that are required and the people with existing jobs. Amal, you're at the World Economic Forum as a shaper. And I remember two years ago in Davos, I presented the question to the climate activists led by Greta Thunberg and said, are you actually sitting down with the oil and gas CEOs, for example, or those in industry to find solutions? Uh, are we moving from the stage of uh, shouting from the sidelines, rightfully so, I may add, and then having a dialogue towards solutions on climate to get climate justice, if you will, particularly for a country like Tunisia? Yeah, thanks for the question, John. Um, so the network of the Global Shapers um, community is an initiative of the World Economic Forum, and um, it has hubs all over the world, and it belongs to the Tunis hub. And recently, within the frame of the Davos um, Dialogue Labs, we launched at Tunis hub uh, a, a dialogue around net zero, and we tried to, to uh, have the discussion and interact about um, how is it like to reach net zero in, in Tunisia and what do we need? And um, we, we've had a lot of interaction in that. We presented the outcomes of the dialogue to uh, the youth recovery report that was recently launched. And this has provided recommendations to world leaders and to government on how to update their policies, of course, on net zero, but also in other pillars. And to answer this question, I think today we're in a need to, um, to have a dialogue and to reach the uh, common ground together. It's not a matter of switching to another uh, solution out of sudden, but rather to try to lead the change together and to make sure to find the common ground and an and alternative that is sustainable. So if we're switching to another alternative, only this is going to be another bubble and we will be dealing with another problem. So uh, I think it's important today to try to make the conversation led by uh, several parties, several sectors. Here we're uh, discussing or mentioning the partnerships and again, SDG number 17. Uh, also, if I can refer to the uh, enhanced nationally determined contribution that uh, Tunisia has, has just um, uh, presented uh, uh, for, for COP26, it also um, emphasizes the need of the partnership that we're uh, making sure that all the sectors commit and uh, pledge to, to reach the net zero goal set uh, on the horizons of 2050. So I think it's important today to make sure everyone feels concerned, but not only from the perspective of the private sector, but also in terms of families, uh, young people, to make sure that everyone feels the ownership and speaks the same language. So if you tell people 
uh, degree Celsius uh, compared to pre-industrial areas. This might sound as something super uh, like uh, uh, heavy on them, but if we get to actually explain to everyone and to make sure the dialogue actually happens, I think this is going to be crucial into making sure we achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. It's really paramount that the next COP, COP27, will be held in Egypt. And I think it's been quite some time since um, the least developed or the less developed country is actually going to be um, the convener of this important dialogue. And I'm personally really looking forward to what this would mean for the global community. I think it will have really strong voices and leadership both from Egypt and South Africa, probably the most vocal uh, leaders uh, across the African uh, subcontinent um, on climate issues. But, um, but creating more of an inclusive dialogue uh, with different stakeholders I think it's something that we will all be focusing on for for the year ahead. Great point there, uh, Anna. Uh, Corinne, how do we move from uh, handing out money to the developing world and look at co-investing? It was interesting. They talked about unlocking $130 trillion to 2050 in sustainable finance. They haven't hit the target of $100 billion a year in wealth transfer from the West uh, to the South, if you will, from the industrialized countries to the developing countries. How do we hold countries accountable after COP26 and from the start of this season in the UNGA? I, th- I think in the end, it's all about transparency as well, right? I mean, that's what we've been lacking a bit in terms of holding countries, but also corporations to account. It also means that we need much, much better data. Because I think right now there's differences in how things are being measured um, and what is being counted. And I think that provides a less ideal starting point to really see whether we are on track. I mean, we've seen all the commitments that have been made. I don't think at this point they're leading us to 1.5 degrees, what I've been reading these days. So I think it's even more important that we accelerate the measurement and the the quality of data to then move forward to really have the sound picture and can then hold countries better to account to where they're really standing versus their pledges. Yeah, maybe to echo what Karen was saying, uh, uh, I've been following some negotiations around finance and around the new quantitative common goal. And I think today we need urgently to have a definition for climate finance because we don't actually have one today. And uh, this relates to what Karen was mentioning about transparency. I think it's important to uh, to have this definition set so that we are all, uh, we help, uh, we, the accountability is, is there. And it was great to have this conversation started during the negotiation at COP26 with the name to have a clear roadmap and I hope that uh, as COP26 is concluded which or, or we have a, a clear roadmap for that. Uh, I think it is uh, something really urgent today and I look forward to, to see the outcomes of that. Okay, let's give Anna the final word here on ESG uh, and building that momentum. It's had a, a big impact on oil and gas investment dropping by nearly in half uh, in, in recent years, Anna. But how do you carry that momentum forward? And as Karin was suggesting here, having accountability in your view. Yes, I think you know one thing I've heard over the past uh, week and a half in Glasgow is that we need more moving from MOUs to MODUs, um, and uh, we really need to both. I full full wholeheartedly agree with with Karin's point that we need better measurements, but we also need uh, I think each sector, each company to take an honest look inward and identify uh, both what they bring to the table, to the problem solving table, and also the gaps uh, that exist that um, other partners from government, from other private sector leaders, importantly NGOs, 
the future leaders and youth can, can bring to the table. Uh, and with that assessment in mind, uh, really charter a new uh, agenda for, for strategic partnerships because not, not, not a single organization or sector or, or region can solve alone, alone for, for those issues, that, the challenging issues that we've just discussed. And so uh, charting a bolder course for partnerships and being more honest with, uh, with the gaps that we have as organizations and, uh, and areas around which we can come together. What a great conversation. That uh, last 20 minutes or so sailed right by. Anna Tunkel of uh, APCO Worldwide, um, Karine Reiter of the DECO Group, and Amal Ridan uh, of Tunisia, a youth delegate to the COP26 and a World Economic Forum shaper. It's great to have you uh, at the APCO Forum. APCO is hoping that these conversations will lead to a deeper understanding of the key global issues that we're faced with today and help organizations become catalysts for progress. Please visit apcoforum.com for further installments of the APCO Forum, where you can find our program on APCO social media channels at APCO Worldwide, and subscribe to APCO Forum on your favorite podcast platform. I'm John Defterius in London. Thanks for tuning in to the APCO Forum. We'll see you next time.